Hi, friends. Uh, really nice to be with you again. Really nice to have a, another opportunity to look at God's Word and to discover some truths. Um, we're starting a new series this week, and so the series I'm calling it um, Christianity's Big Five. The, all five sessions begin with the letter S, so they're pretty easy to remember in that sense. So we're going to look first up at um, the fact that God is sovereign, uh, the whole point of God being a sovereign God and overseeing all things. Then we're going to look at our salvation, which is through Christ alone, of course, uh, directed by God. And we're going to see how the fact that we're actually saved and converted in that sense. Then after that, we're going to look at the whole purpose and fact of the security of believer, that you and I are secure in Jesus. That's going to be encouraging for us, that there's nothing can take us from him. After that, number four is going to be about sanctification or becoming more and more like Jesus, if you want. And this whole um, statement under directive of our being sanctified, ongoing sanctification as we live for him. The final message is going to be on the, the church being sent. So it's a whole missionary emphasis there. Um, we, we as God's people are to be sent to the ends of the earth to spread this amazing message of all these points that we're looking at and share that amazing gospel of Jesus Christ in there. So that's where we're going over the next number of weeks. So I hope you can track with us and hope you'll be encouraged and, and be blessed as we go through all of that together as well. So this session today is about the fact of our, our God being a sovereign God. If you've got a Bible, if you want to turn to Isaiah 46 verses 8 to 11, that's where we're going to base our, our thinking from, if you want, Isaiah 46, verses 8 to 11, and this amazingly um, magnificent topic of our God being a sovereign God. So we want to glorify God as we look at this, and we want to benefit from this understanding. So I hope you can track in all of this. Here's what we read in Isaiah 46, verse, verse 8. Remember this, and assure yourselves, men, recall to mind all you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I'm God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I've purposed it. I will also do it, says the Lord. So it's a pretty amazing um, statement in there. And this, sub this subject of the, the sovereignty of God is a vast subject. It's a very serious and very deep subject. And one that I think has, has troubled believer and unbeliever alike for potentially centuries. So I'm not suggesting we can get our heads around all of it in one session. But this, remember, is to hopefully guide us and challenge us into further study. So, so it's important in a way that as Bible-believing Christians, that we understand we need to let God speak for himself. And God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. That's how God speaks. So let's sit right there and, and rest and, and see what the Word of God tells us. And the Spirit of God takes that truth to us today. In verse 9 of our text, God says, I'm God and there is no other. I'm God and there is None like me, major statement right there. So our text is immediately declaring that the uniqueness of the God whom we refer to as Father. We intimately go to God and we say, our Father, well, this is the God who is, um, there's no other God and there's none like him in all of the universe, in all of creation. He, he's our Father. He's distinct from every other being in this universe. And he says of himself, there is no one like him. There's no one like me, says God. So in our text, 
Whenever God says, I am God, he is speaking to his people who by some choice of practice are living like they they don't know what it really means for God to be God. That's who Isaiah was addressing. That's, I think, where the church has got to today. We, we no longer are clear as to what it means for God to be really God and if his word is really his word and so on. So we want to help bring clarity to that. So if I was to ask each of us today, who is your sovereign God and why is he sovereign? How would you answer that? That's a very deep and unusual question. Who is your sovereign God? Who is this God that you say is sovereign? And why is he sovereign? How would you answer that? Well, <clears throat> as you're thinking about that, let me give you one suggested answer that can maybe help us as we um, advance in our study. Here's what one author says. Acceptance is taking from God's hand absolutely anything he chooses to give us, looking up into his face in love and trust, even in thanksgiving, and knowing that the confines of the hedge within which he has placed us are good, even perfect, however painful they may be, simply because he himself has given them. It's being in that right spot with God and knowing that he's he's got us, no matter what that no matter what's happening at that time in our lives. So hopefully that's a little help for us, but still we need to answer this question. What does it mean for God to be God? Well, well once again, let our text speak to us. God says in verse 10 of our text, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Pretty big statement there. God says, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, Things not yet done that haven't even happened. So we immediately glean from the text that God declares how things turn out long before they ever happen. He, he also knows that, that these things, what these things will be, long before they ever take place. And from this we begin to hopefully appreciate that, that God, our God, has, has foreknowledge. Foreknowledge of events that as yet have never ever taken place. Haven't taken place yet. We don't know what they are, but God knows. And then he goes on to say, God goes on to say in verse 10, that his counsel will stand and he will accomplish his purposes. So we then begin to recognize that the way in which God declares his foreknowledge is by declaring his counsel and his purposes ahead of the time of their happening. You see, God knows the future and God knows his plans for the future and he will accomplish his plans. And he can do all of that because he is God. One author explains it in, in these terms. The future is the purpose of God being accomplished by God. The, the future, things yet to come, is the purpose of God being accomplished by God. Now to clarify this and, and to leave us in, in no confusion in our minds as to who's actually in charge of all things, God says these words in verse 11. Here's what he says. Indeed, I have spoken it and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will do it, says the Lord. So we have to have confidence in that. To attempt to brutally paraphrase such a statement as that, uh, let, me, let me put it like this. What God is saying here is this. The reason his predictions all come true is because they are in fact his purposes and he is the one performing them. So when we read the Bible and there's something predicted there, we can say that will come to be because it's one of God's purposes and God is the one who will perform that purpose. And having said that, please don't misinterpret God as some sort of um, 
fortune teller, or predictor only. He's far, far more than all of that. I hope we're aware of that. He knows what is about to happen in the world because he has planned for it to happen. That means coronavirus, COVID-19 did not take him by surprise. It's all going into lockdowns, having our lives transformed, struggling to find this vaccine and this uh, variant that's now uh, sort of morphing and continuing more. None of that took God by surprise at all. He, he understands that. He, he's, he, he permitted that to happen. It's in fact part of his great purpose, if you want, for his world. So to help us um, to help us sort of glean more understanding of all of this, I want you to listen to the words of author and pastor John Piper as he um, speaks of God's sovereignty. Here's what Piper says. God has the rightful authority, the freedom, the wisdom, and the power to bring about everything he intends to happen. And therefore, everything he intends to come about does come about, which means God plans and governs all things. Did you get that? God plans, he orchestrates, and he governs all things. So whenever God says, I will accomplish my purpose, he means exactly that. Nothing happens except what is his purpose. And all such claims as this can be, they can be overwhelming for us as as Bible-believing Christians, as true followers of Jesus. We're overwhelmed in attempting to understand this. Let's accept that as a real issue for us. But this is incredibly difficult to, to, to sort of get our heads around, for us to understand, and even more so, it can be really difficult for us to accept, but we have to come to that place of saying, God's plan, he's in control, so I'm going to rest there. Now, here's an issue for us to face up to. With God being sovereign, can we see him as the only hope for our being given eternal life? Do we recognize there is no other way that you and I would ever have this eternal life relationship with God the Father except outside, except within his, his sovereignty. He had to bring us to that place. And he says, he did all of that. Can we, can we see God as our only hope in our evangelistic efforts? We're never going to turn this world upside down for Jesus unless, unless God takes, that, takes us in that journey, unless God presents us in that way. Can we see God as our only hope in our suffering? When suffering comes into your life, do, do we see God as being the orchestrator of that? The administrator of that, the one who permitted that, and the one who's in charge of every aspect of our suffering. And somehow we're still within, he's got that hedge around us, we're in his protection. Can we see God as our only hope for answering our prayers? Our prayers are not answered by self, by finance, by the church, it's by God. Do we see that? Well, all of that's important because if we see some other hope, then we're not considering God to be sovereign at all. Now let's look at some other texts to help our appreciation of our sovereign God. Uh, look at uh, Proverbs 16, verse 33. Here's what we read there. The sage writes, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. When you cast a lot into your lap, you've no control. It's out of your hands. What way it's going to settle? But every decision that comes from it is from the Lord. Basically, the text claims that there is no event in our world that is so small that God does not bring about his purposes from that event. Can you remember the words of Jesus in, in Matthew 10, 29 to 30? Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will that he permits that to happen? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So that's an amazing statement right there. God knows us intimately 
in this way. And from the, the worms of the soil to, to the stars and the galaxies, God governs the natural world that you and I have the privilege of living within. Let me read in Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high. Look to the heavens, look to the stars, and see who's created these things. What brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Every star is in place, every galaxy is in place. There's nothing missing because God is sovereign. He's in control. He rules over all and in all natural events, from the unexpected tsunami to the uninvited cancer. God rules, God reigns, God's sovereign. Psalm 147, verses 15 to 18, read like this. The psalmist writes, he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out his, his heel like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. It all happens because God permits it and enables it to happen. And then in, in, in Job 37, 11 to 13, we read these amazing words. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds and they swirl about being turned by his guidance that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. God is in control is the whole statement right there. Not so hard for us to get our, our minds, our heads, our understanding around these truths. So perhaps this little poem by Esther Fields might help us. It's titled, Things Don't Just Happen. It is only a poem, so just bear that in mind. Things don't just happen to us who love God. They're planned by his own dear hand. They're molded and shaped in time by his clock. Things don't just happen. They're planned. We don't just guess on the issues of life. We Christians just rest in our Lord. We are directed by his sovereign will in the light of his holy word. We who love Jesus are walking by faith, not seeing one step that's ahead, not doubting one moment what our lot might be, but looking to Jesus instead. We praise our dear Savior for loving us so, for planning each care of our life, then giving us faith to trust him for all the blessings as well as the strife. Things don't just happen to us who love God, to us who have taken our stand. No matter the lot, the course, the price, things don't just happen. They're planned. That can help us to see that, hey, God's in control. Now, here's something that will help us appreciate a wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of this. You remember that he found himself in the middle of an uncontrolled storm. And whenever Jesus speaks, telling the wind to cease to be still, the storm immediately subsides. Well, Jesus being God has all authority over nature. Did you catch that? Jesus being God has all authority over nature. Jesus could tell any impending tsunami to stop and it must stop. Jesus could tell any form of cancer to leave your body and it would have no choice but to obey his command. Now let's be bold enough to, to look at something then. Something like such suffering for uh, in this life. Let's look at that for a few moments. And as we do so, remember God's phrase stating, I will accomplish all my purpose. And what God permits to come into your life, he will use somehow for his great eternal purpose. And I don't know what that will be. None of us know those, these things, but we must trust our sovereign God in this, that he's doing all of this for 
um, his great eternal purpose. Some of you may remember many years ago, the um, young lady, Johnny Erickson, became Johnny Erickson Tata. When she was 18, she had a terrible diving accident that left her paralyzed from the neck down. And then uh, Johnny, as she was known, she became, to, became a writer, became an artist, became a, a speaker, a real advocate for, for Christianity. And around the world, she'd been doing that for decades. Well, she, she recollects this time that she had in hospital as she was recovering from this um, accident that transformed her life um, for the rest of her life. She says, that week a friend came to see me in hospital while I was still uh, face down counting the ties. That's how she had to lie. And she put a Bible on a little stool in front of me and stuck my, my mouth stick in my mouth so that I could flip its pages. And my friend told me to turn to Psalm 18. There she says, I read, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. Smoke went up from his nostrils. He bowed the heavens and came down. He sent from on high. He took me. He rescued me. And she says, here's the best part. He did all this because he delighted in me. She said, I prayed for God to help me. Little did I realize that God was parting heaven and earth, striking bolts of lightning and thundering the foundations of the planet to reach down and rescue me because he delighted in me. He showed me in, in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9, she writes, that all of this had happened so that I would not rely on myself, but on God who raises the dead. And that's all God was looking for, she writes. He wanted me to reckon myself dead, dead to sin, because if he can raise the dead, you better believe he could raise me out of my hopelessness. He would take it from there, she writes, and he's been doing the same for several decades since. So over the life of Johnny Erickson Tata, and over your life and my life, God says, I will accomplish all my purpose. I will accomplish all my purpose through you with you. I'll do that. And God has such authority and such rights over every aspect of your life because at Calvary, he gave you the gift of repentance and then he drew you to himself through Jesus. So whatever has happened or is happening in your life, remember God is in control because he brought you into salvation. We didn't come, he brought us into salvation. And these things that the, the devil wanted to use as evil in your life and my life, God in his own way has turned them around, is turning them around to use them for good. Genesis 50 verse 20 reads like this, Satan, you meant evil against me, but God, God, my sovereign God, meant it for good. And for such a reason of belief, Paul writes in Ephesians 1 verse 11, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. If he has never got anything wrong in the past, and we believe that, and he can never get anything wrong in the future, and we believe that, then we're called to thank him for what he brings to our lives. If God makes no mistakes and he's a perfect God and everything he does is perfect, then what he brings to your life and my life is okay. So it should comfort us if we recognize that even Satan, even the devil, is under the governance of God. It is God who is sovereign, not the devil, not Satan. Be careful never to, to visualize the great spiritual war that is raging between God and Satan and the heavenlies as being one of equality, fought between two equal authorities. It's far from that. Remember, it's the sovereign God who said, I will accomplish all my purpose. And to do so, God works all things according to the counsel of 
his will. All things, to me anyway, I believe, includes the activity of Satan. It has to. Otherwise, it can't be all things. The devil is definitely very active in his uh, attempts to hurt God's people, to hurt the church. He is, however, always under God's governance. As we read the book of Job, we're immediately impressed by the fact that Satan had to seek permission from God before he was able to inflict any such anguish or discomfort or pain on God's servant Job. We read in chapter 1 verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, notice that the Lord says to Satan, behold all that he, Job, has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. And then in chapter 2 verse 6, the Lord says to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So God's permitting this uh, movement, if you want, in the, in the activities of Satan in the life of Job. And immediately Satan leaves the presence of God and he strikes Job with what verse 7 calls loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So Job's in absolute agony with these horrendous sores. And remember, all of this is permitted by God on his servant, Job. And with all of this, Job's wife speaks up saying, curse God and die. Get this over with. This pain is horrendous. Just die and be done with it. This is too much, Job. To which Job responds in verse 10 to his wife, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? The writer of the book um, says this in, in somewhat conclusion. In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. At the very end of the book, in chapter 42, verse 11, we read that Job was comforted. Comforted, we read there, for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. So the Lord brings all this evil upon him, and Job was comforted. But remember the thought, the Lord permitted the evil to come upon God's servant, Job. So God used Satan to bring disease, to bring tragedy to the life of his choice servant and his faithful follower, Job. So we learn that Satan can do nothing without God's permission. And God is very clear as to what he intends and plans. And, and everything that God permits into your life will always be for your good according to the plan of God. Whether it feels like it's good or not isn't the point. It's God who's in control. So with God being sovereign, we then begin to recognize that there is absolutely nothing that is too hard for him. To the redeemed, he says in Philippians 4 verse 19, I will meet all your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm going to meet every need that you have through my riches and glory in your faithful Lord and Savior. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, Paul writes, my power will be made perfect in weakness. That's your weakness, my weakness. So God's power is expressed through our being weak. From Isaiah 41 verse 10, we understand that God will strengthen us and help us and hold us up with his righteous right hand. That's what God does for us. And then the sovereign God tells us then in Hebrews 13 verse 5, that he will never leave us and he will never, ever, ever, ever forsake us. So God assures us uh, through the writings of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, that he will not let any testing befall your eye for which he doesn't give us the grace to bear that testing. Nothing can come to our life which he doesn't give us the grace to walk within that. So the sovereign God who says, I will accomplish all my purpose 
assures those redeemed by his son Jesus that he will raise us from the grave and that he will give to us a new body like his amazing glorious body and he will do all of this simply because he can do all things and no purpose of his has ever been thwarted as quoted by Job in 42 verse 2. So he can do all things and no purpose of his has ever been thwarted, ever can be thwarted in any way. God alone is the sovereign God. That's where we rest and take great, amazing comfort in. That being so, let's take in these seven statements from uh, John Piper as we close, advocating that these truths are so precious to us because God is absolutely sovereign. So with all of that, we're going to look at these seven statements. Just going to read them. It'll be real simple, real quick, but I want you to take them in, recognizing this is an advocation that God is so precious, we're so precious to him, and he's so precious to us, and all this happens because he's absolutely sovereign. Number one, says Piper, <clears throat> let's stand in awe of the sovereign authority and freedom and wisdom and power of God. Just to stand there, just like you're gazing at the stars, just taking that sovereign authority. My God is sovereign. He's got this great authority and he gives me freedom and he's, he's got freedom of himself to do whatever he wants. And he gives me wisdom and he's got ultimate wisdom and he's got great power and he gives me some power. And he says, but I want you to live for me. Let's take that in. Our sovereign God is this awesome, amazing God that we serve and he loves us incredibly. Number two, let us never trifle with life as though it were small or light affair. Let's respect and remember God has given us this life. So therefore, he's made us as he wants. He wants to use us the way, he, the way he's made us. And he wants to bring glory to himself through everything that comes into our lives. So let's not take this life as a, a small or light affair in any way. Number three, let us marvel at our own salvation. Uh, that God bought it and wrought it with a sovereign power. And we are not our own. We're saved incredibly, eternally right with God. And we're not our own people. We can't do what we want because we submit and we surrender to sovereign authority. Number four, let us groan over the God-belittling man-centeredness of our culture and much of the church. We see the culture going the wrong way. Let's groan over that. This grieves the heart of God. It grieves the believer. As we look at the church, let's groan at where some of the church is going to, and let's grieve and say, we, we groan because we're hurting our brothers and sisters, and those saying that they belong to the church are, are scrapping the Bible and going the wrong way. They're no longer recognizing God to be sovereign. We grieve at that. Number five, let us be bold at the, the throne of grace, knowing that our prayers for the most difficult things can be answered, because nothing is too hard our God. So we go to the throne, we throw ourselves down, we say, Lord, please, please, would you respond? Would you react? Lord, will you do something? Will you help me? Will you comfort me? Will you minister to me? Will you heal me? Will you do whatever you have to do, Lord? Will you bring out your sovereignty, your sovereign authority in, in my life? Number six, let us rejoice that our evangelism will not be in vain because there is no sinner so hard that sovereign grace of God cannot break through their life. So let's take this gospel, this amazing, life-changing, eternal gospel of our great God, let's take it to the ends of the earth and say, this is for every man to hear. This is for every man to understand so that our God will take his message and minister graciously 
to all these people, the hardest of the hardest of the hardest. We think there's no way the gospel will get there. We think there's no way that truth can redeem these people or bring them to that place of redemption. But it can because our God, our God is sovereign and we believe in him. Number seven, the very last one. Let's be thrilled and calm in these days of great upheaval because victory belongs to God and no purpose that he wills to accomplish can ever be stopped. So in the midst of all of this coronavirus, COVID-19, all these things troubling our world, let's let this be calm. Let's rest. Let's not be taken into confusion. Let's not think that this is out of control. It is not. This is all in God's control because there's no purpose that he wills to accomplish can ever be stopped. He's permitted this. This is for his glory. And we're called to live for him in the midst of this time. That's an amazing God. That's our God. That's the sovereign God that we love and serve and walk with. And the sovereign God who's redeemed us, redeemed us through the precious blood of his holy son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're challenged. I hope you're stimulated to worship this amazing, awesome, sovereign God that we have. Why don't you go out tonight and just gaze at the stars and say, wow, he is a sovereign, amazing, authoritative God. Be blessed. Well, thank you for listening. Let me pray for you. And um, trust that you have another great week living and serving your sovereign, um, amazing God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you're in control of all things. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to yourself. And we pray now that your name be glorified, your name be honoured, your name be upheld in each one of the lives of your redeemed, blood-bought children through Christ. Be glorified, great God, and we, we bow before you, attempting to be in full recognition of your great sovereignty. We stand there, Lord, and we say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for using me. Thank you for ministering in whatever way you've chosen to minister in my life. And may this life be a life that brings your sovereignty, your pleasure. We pray this for your glory. We pray in your name, almighty God. Amen. Well, thank you again for your time, your attention uh, and listening. Please do connect with us. Let us know who you are. Let us know what's happening in your life. Uh, we want to help you if we possibly can. But meanwhile, be encouraged and be blessed as you walk with him. Thanks.